Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Healthy Ways for Children radio program. For returning guests, welcome back and thank you for your continued support of this podcast. We've been doing this a long time and I love it that people go back and listen to some of the old programs in the archive. I really appreciate your support. For those joining us for the first time, my name is Kimberly, and I am the founder of an adolescent fitness program called Kids Under Construction, which helps children 7 to 15 years old. We began this podcast in 2007 as an extension of the fitness program, and there have been really, really good information um, shared over the years. To give you a little background on what Kids Under Construction is, it is a one-on-one personal training or coaching or group classes for children, again, between the ages of 7 to 15 years old. We provide food journals and nutrition recommendations and mentors to help children navigate their healthy journey. We believe that at this age, there is a level of accountability when it comes to their health and their weight. So we help them figure that out. We also have another program called Mom's Weekly Helper, which offers one-on-one cooking classes or um, group cooking classes, which helps children learn basic fundamentals in the kitchen. Not everyone was raised cooking with a parent or grandparent, and so this helps children learn how to be more self-sufficient and help them figure out um, how to make better choices when it comes to their eating. And then finally, um, I offer motivational speaking to churches, um, schools, any function that's kid-related involving health. And we talk it out, answer questions, and help parents who are frustrated when they have a child that's dealing with weight concerns, whether it's um, overweight, trying to lose weight, or underweight, trying to gain weight. I also deal with um, those athletes that would like to perfect their craft. So we have basketball coaches, football coaches, um, swim, track, those who can help them, um, again, get a little bit better in what they enjoy doing. So there you go. If you, again, have some time, visit our blog talk radio page. You'll find the link to our website. And, again, you can find some great programs that have been um, shared over the years. So now let's get started. Um, As a recap this month, we are talking about going back to school. And last week we introduced um, information concerning the national school breakfast program. We talked about this um, federally funded program, which began in 1966 as a pilot program and then later 
made permanent by Congress in 1975. So this shows you some some insight into how important the program is to our school systems and children that are not able to eat breakfast at home, whether it's due to financial means or just time constraints. The school uh, breakfast program adds that extra level of um, success for that child because studies have shown over and over that breakfast is so important. And clearly our government feels the same and invests a lot of money into the program to help our children. If um, it, it, We also talked about how widespread this is. There are many, many, and uh, 2018, 88,000 schools participated in the breakfast program, which is amazing where you have each state that recognizes the problem in low-income areas, and they are making a difference. We'll talk about some of the, the differences that have happened more recently with, with the programs on the lunch side. If at some uh, time you want to uh, call into the show, the guest call-in number is 917-889-3892. Again, 917-889-3892. All right. So, like we have a call. Let me. Hello. You know, on this school lunch program, I when I came up, uh, we took brown bags to school, and now, <laughs> and now, school district forbid children to bring their own lunch to school, which I think is is uh, callous. I, listen, I completely agree with you, especially with um, children. The program is offered, but I know teachers in the system where not every child is eating the lunch or they have um, health you know, restrictions with allergies, and I think that is part of the reason for that. Um, the peanut allergies and all of the other things that can go wrong with children sharing lunches. So I I, I do agree with you on that. That it, it know, is bad. Um, one school district uh, uh, it may have been the building, but it had to be a, a district policy. I think they was reprimanding child. I think it was in Chicago when they brought the, the lunch. I would rather see. Uh, I like the the. Uh, like when I was a kid, uh, we used to have lunch checks. It was six cents a piece, uh, okay. forty-eight cents. I could have a hot plate, the uh, turkey and dressing roll. That's uh, three, three. And, uh, dessert would be one, something to drink, and a salad. That was six checks back mm-hmm. then, and the food was cooked in the cafeteria by people who lived in the community. That way, the money okay. stayed in the community, and right. I think now that they, I think they need to get back to that, because many of these lunches 
are actually uh, these are foreign countries, foreign companies that's uh, running these lunch programs or providing the lunches, Sodesto and Aramac, and I mm-hmm. think that presents a problem sometimes. Now, but, uh, now, just in me looking at some of the fundamentals of the lunch program, actually both, but the lunch program specifically, they are encouraging, meaning the USDA, they're encouraging some of our local farmers, and some school districts are using that to help, as you say, keep it in the community. It's local. Yes. Making sure that it does. So that that is one thing that is positive that, the school systems recognize that we do have um, something that's closer to home. That yeah, I think they need to get back to that. And you know, yeah. me being a conservative person anyway, I hate to see the government get involved in these things. But get back right. to local production, let parents mm-hmm. uh, have, uh, let the lunches be, if you want to subsidize, I think the district could subsidize the lunches uh, if parents can't pay afford to pay the full price or should right. I say the cost well, but uh, now that is something that has just changed and I heard it on the news this morning it started in um, 2017 where more schools are now just offering it free to everyone because they felt like there was some lunch shaming for children who were participating in the free lunch or the reduced lunch and parents didn't want to fill out paperwork and go through all the, you know, all the process. So they are sort of getting, some are recognizing, and I think it is growing each school year, you know, taking advantage of what is being offered. Because you're right, when the government gets involved, there's always good and bad with that. Yeah, and they can, then they could politicize it. But, uh, right. Yeah, but back in the days when I went to school, 48 cents, 50 cents I used to have every day. I'd get six. Right. And, and, and you know, another thing, too, you could smell the the aroma all through the school during the morning. Right. And boy, it was something else. I just missed those days. Right. Yes. Now, now do all you right, have school you, age children? Huh? Do you have no, I'm a grandfather. Okay. Yeah, I'm a grandfather. Yeah. Okay. And where but, do you uh, live? You guys, huh? I you grew up where? in the Midwest. I grew up in the Midwest. Okay. And now I live down south where everything tastes good. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a good. This is a good topic, good. you guys. This is a good topic, you day, and and we have to encourage the getting back to uh, doing things locally, uh, getting. Uh, yeah people more involved. My grandmother taught me how to cook. Those things there are so valuable that we're not being able to utilize today. But anyway, I'll let you get back to your program. I'm sorry for interrupting. Well, I thank you for calling in and thank you for listening. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. What an awesome, awesome conversation. And he's very, 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 very right that we do need to get back to the basics. Um, it, it is discouraging that some children aren't allowed to bring their lunch. I, my nieces are in high school, and one loves the lunch program, and my other niece is very picky, and she she's fine with making her lunch every day and bringing it. And it definitely helps control weight and making sure that your child will eat 
every day when they're bringing things that they do like. So, you know, diving a little bit more into the lunch program, um, just like the breakfast program, it appears that the lunch program started much, much further back. 1946 was when it started, and it just has evolved over the years. Again, government really puts a lot of money into the program, making sure that our children are able to eat. And I think that is the overall problem. When we listen to um, studies and statistics talking about people are not getting cost of living raises, it just becomes more difficult to see this. And it's sad that a child can go to school hungry and be there all day and then come home and don't have the, the, the necessary um, nutrition that they need each day to fun, function at school, focus. It, it, there's just so many benefits from, you know, we stepping in and it, meaning the government stepping in and helping the areas that need it most. So just, let's just look at some of the statistics that I have found um, just over the last couple of years. So in the um, 2019-20 school year, so right now a lot of schools are back. And in Atlanta, we have started back already in August. And so looking at the projection for this year, 13.6 million children. Put your head around that. 13.6 million children will receive free or reduced lunches during the school year. How sad that, you know, we we look at other countries and how the there's such a problem with starvation and um, children right here in the United States are dealing with that, hunger issues. Two twenty-eight thousand um, uh, participants will take part of this program. So those are the public schools, non-profit uh, private schools, residential childcare institutions, um, Head Start programs. In Georgia, we have the, the free pre-K, four-year pre-K program. All those children will participate in this program, and money is given from our government. So as much as we hate big government, sometimes they do the right thing and they help those who need it most. Um, we are also looking at 4,633 4, 4, school districts are participating in the program. So you have the breakfast and the lunch program. And then as I was just talking about in the conversation, now they're, they're now revamping into uh, 2017, taking a look at, okay, um, some parents just can't afford it. So now schools were having, uh, you know, debt being raised on the books for children who would come to school, can't afford it. You know, the school will feed every child. And then the parents were accumulating a, a, a bill. And so now the program is now revamped to where some are really taking advantage of feeding everyone. We're not going to let, let, let that now be a hindrance from a child eating during the day, which I think is great. I, I really do feel like 
at the end of the day, the most important thing is feeding our children. So just as the breakfast program, um, how does the program work? Okay, so participants that decide to use the, the lunch program, they receive cash um, subsidies uh, to reimburse them for each meal that is served to a child, which is which is something I guess that they drives that even further. When you look at how many children are out there in our schools, again, we're looking at the big numbers of children participating. It's nice that there is something that comes back into the school. As I said on the call, you know, schools are even the, the USDA. They are very instrumental in providing guidelines and helping the program to be a success. So, you know, institutions will serve the lunches that meet a federal meal pattern. So the government steps in. They give them suggestions. They give them uh, potential meal combinations. They also provide training, which is awesome because how can you have it if this is not um, if you're not equipped? So you you prepare a healthy, balanced meal, and then um, a certain percentage is given back into the schools. Um, Participants are required to access the nutrient analysis software provided by the USDA. So it's a database of over 10,000 food items, and it collects um, information for uh, the nutrients, the calories, the total fat, saturated fat, trans fat, cholesterol, sodium, um, carbohydrates, and proteins and vitamins. So this database gives them all of the tools that they need, and then they can sit down and do the lunch for, uh, you know, the lunch plan for the month or the week or however they determine. Um, The Center for uh, Nutrition Policy and Promotion, they lead the dietary guidelines. So they, again, everyone's in here trying to help make sure that it's not just pizza and chicken fingers and fried foods and all of the bad things. It helps bring a balance to our children. You know, they were looking at you know, looking at some of the data that I found. California experienced the largest growth with fifteen hundred more schools implementing community uh eligibility. This was in the 2017 to 2018 school system, and that is the, the community eligibility. That is what um, that is what is called to um, feed all children. So they're 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 looking at you know again California is huge, and I'm sure that the school system was definitely trying to figure out how can we feed more children without accumulating the debt. So this is one that's really taking advantage of um, of helping more uh, vast variety of children. Let's see. The Center for, um, for Nutrition Policy and Promotion, you know, again, they, they joined with the USDA, and they conduct uh, systematic reviews. And so they make sure that 
what we're offering the schools as guidance is the most up-to-date information, which is also important because you don't want to keep looking at um, old information and contributing to childhood obesity, making sure that, that everybody is receiving the most um, important information and then they can act accordingly. So schools aren't left to themselves to figure out what what needs to happen and how it needs to happen. So training happens. Um, technical assistance is provided to the school, and then they have their nutrition resource library. So those things help them stay as connected as possible. So let's look at um, the eligible schools who can can participate in the community um, project. So, again, I got this information from the Food Research and Action Center, and it just took a look at how many um, in every state where the need was the most. So we'll look at the top ten with um, so North Dakota. They topped the list with 93.5% that um, qualified for participation. And so, again, this program, let me see, I think I kind of researched that. This program provides for all children. It's called the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act. This was something that was implemented in 2017. It actually started in 2010, um, reauthorizing the school lunch program, and now it's coming to fruition. So when you're looking at the eligible schools, you have topping the list, the top ten list, North Dakota, New York, Louisiana, Kentucky, Wyoming, Utah, Vermont, New Mexico, Alaska, West Virginia. And they're all in the 90 percentile. And then they get, you know, starts dropping off into the with um, – with, with Montana ending in 82.5%. So when you look at, you think um, your California, you know, your bigger cities. I know in Atlanta, it's just such a problem. We have so many great organizations, especially over the summer, who kicked in because school was out and now children wouldn't eat at all. And they provided those bag lunches to help keep children fed throughout the summer. There were time frames that they can visit their local school and then they can get breakfast and they can get lunch. That That is an amazing thing that just ordinary citizens, you know, would help in this project. It had to be funded somewhere. So it, it took someone taking the time and effort to help our children they fed during the summer, and I, I absolutely love it. So um, let's take a look. We have a few more minutes. The Center for Nutrition Policy and Promotion leads the guideline development, and they conduct the systematic reviews of the nutrition library to provide the strongest available evidence-based evidence-based science 
to inform federal nutrition programs, policies, and communications. So I encourage parents all the time. Everything seems to be more electronic, more easy access. Take the time to ask your school what is the policy for a lunch program. Take the time, look at the monthly menu to make sure that your child can eat the foods that are being offered. And if not, if there's something a day that they don't like, then maybe that's a day that they can bring lunch if it's allowed. I, I do, as the caller said, there are some schools that don't allow the bag lunches. But if your school allows it, take a more active role. You also have the responsibility as a parent or guardian to make sure that healthier foods are in the home. You can control that. You can control what, what they're doing out when they're out every day. We do have these dreaded um, vending machines, children, especially in the high school level, um, going to the local fast food places or bring me back something or sharing unhealthy snacks. But your homes, you can control what's in there and balance the sodas, the sweets, the candies, the cookies, all the other things that can not only have put weight on children, but just affect their overall health. That's what you can control. So take a look at the school lunch uh, for the month because a lot of times they will print that calendar for the month. And then, again, talk to your children. Do you want to eat this? Don't waste your money if you don't have to. I said this on another program. I have three children, and when they were in school, my middle son, I, I just looked at the um, looked at the menu and saw that for like a week he was eating chicken fingers, cookies, and that was it. And our school allowed me to block items, so I could put money on his books, and then I can block items that. Um, I didn't want him to have. And and I let him make the decision because I let him know that I can see what you're eating. So um, we talked about it, and you just can't be afraid to talk about it with your kids. Let them know that you're looking and you're paying attention. And then that way they can start making decisions on their own. I'm watching. So until you can make better choices, this is what's going to happen. So hopefully you enjoyed the program. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved the conversation that we had. Um, we're here every Friday at 10 o'clock, from 10 to 10.30. Next week we are going to talk about a book that I wrote um, uh, talking about breakfast and the importance of breakfast. I just think it's just so important. We take it for granted and how it affects your, your children and yourself when you skip breakfast and how it takes them so long to get focused at school and get their day started. So hopefully you'll tune in next week. Again, my name is Kimberly. I am 
the founder of an adolescent fitness program called Kids Under Construction. If you get a chance, visit our blog talk radio page. You'll find the link to our website. And if there is anything that I can do to help your child on their healthy journey, please feel free to contact me. Um, either leave a message or a text message to 770. I mean, I'm sorry, 404. Um, oh, my goodness, I'm having a brain fart on my phone number. But visit my page, <laughs> and then we can talk about it. Again, thank you. Remember that by working together, we can build a generation of healthy children. Until next week. <laughs>